All right, we're going to pray. We're going to open up into Genesis chapter 9. Lord, we just thank you for this time of worship. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and, and see what you would have from. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 9. No one his family's gotten off the boat. The first thing they did was get blessed by God. And now we're going to look at one of the covenants that God gave to, to man. And starting in verse 8. And the Lord spoke unto Noah and his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and, will, and with every living creature that was with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, of the animal, of the beast, and of, of the earth with you, from all that goes out of the ark, to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, Neither shall there be any more a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I have made between you and me and every living creature that is with you a perpetual, for perpetual generations. I do, not, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token, for a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. The bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature and all the flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh upon the earth here that God makes a covenant. God has made several covenants with mankind. All right, Some of them have been unconditional covenants where there is no condition. We don't have to do anything. And this is one of the unconditional ones. He did not say, if you do these things, I will not send a flood. He says, I will not send a flood to destroy the whole earth. All right, so there's two other covenants that God has made that are unconditional. One was with Abraham, where he said, all people will be blessed by your seed. And those who bless you will bless me. And you know, the, you know the Abrahamic covenant that Israel is his special people. That is an unconditional promise. God did not say, Abraham, if you and your seed do everything that they're supposed to, this is going to happen, which means that it even his descendants have not been well behaved and not do the things that he says he's going to do. They are still blessed by God. The other big covenant was the Davidic covenant where David was told that a king would always sit on his throne of his seed. And there was no condition on that. And we are happy that there was no condition put on that because David's seed had a lot of bad kings. And then, then Jesus was born of the seed of David and he has been the king on the throne ever since. So the promise has been fulfilled. So we have those three that are unconditional. Some people will throw in the, uh, the, the promise that Aaron's descendants would be the priests, which did not depend on them. So uh, you, can, you can put a fourth covenant in there. There have been several other covenants, such as the covenant with Moses and the people. If you do these things, you shall live in the land and if you don't do these things, you will not live in the promised land. There was a condition on it. Many of God's promises to us are conditioned on our obedience. All right? 
Salvation is one of those things under the new covenant that once we accept Jesus, it's an unconditional. We have eternal life. We will spend eternity with God. But there is that one condition. Once you accept it, it's unconditional. You reject it. You do not get to, you're not going to heaven. This is what we will tell people when people, when you witness to people and they go, well, you know, everybody's going to heaven because God is love. No, God provided the way for us all to go to heaven. But if we don't accept Jesus Christ, we are not going to heaven, no matter how good we think we are. Goodness will not get us to heaven because Isaiah tells us that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So we stand before God you know, saying, God, I've done a lot of good things. And God's saying, a bunch of filthy rags, you have a sin. You are guilty. And this is something that we know, even in our justice system, as bad as it is, you're never, when you go to the courts, you cannot say, well, you know, uh, uh, judge, uh, this is the first time I've ever done this, and I've done nothing but good ever since, you know, before. And the judge will look at you and say, you're not on trial for your good, you're on trial for what you did wrong. And that is what God does at the white throne judgment. They're not on trial for all the good that they did. They're on trial for what sins they've committed. When the biggest sin is rejecting Jesus. All right? There's one unforgivable, unpardonable sin, and that is to reject Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for your life. You, you reject him, you're convicted. You know, and that's a plain and simple story. And this is the beauty of the gospel, because you start talking, and go well you you know they'll either say all people go to heaven or you go well you don't know if you've been if you've been good enough well the bible tells us the answer to that you haven't been <laughs> doesn't matter how good how bad you are you're, you have not done you have not fulfilled it so we see here this problem that that uh, this flood uh, situation god says a worldwide flood is not going to happen again you know, and this is a good news, especially if you live in a flood-prone area. Uh, you may have local floods, but we will never have a worldwide flood again. Now, this is one of the things people will try to say, well, this flood of Noah was just a local flood. It was no big deal, so why build a big boat and get all the animals if it was a local flood? If it was just going to be a local flood, God would have said, go over the hill, go over the hill, go through that valley, go over the next hill, and, there, and you'll be away from the flood. Don't spend 120 years building a boat. You know, just, just take, a, take a trip. So we know it was a worldwide flood. The Bible tells us it was a worldwide flood. So, and the evidence in our geography, our geology and, and everything shows us it was, was a worldwide flood. Evidence is everywhere of the worldwide flood. So we know that it was, and God says to man, there will not be another worldwide flood. Now, note that he did not say there will not come a time when the world will be judged and destroyed. That is coming. And in Peter, uh, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 7 and 12, it tells us that this world will be destroyed through heat and flames. All right? So we look at this, and people get worried all the time about a world, worldwide war destroying everything. That won't be what destroys it. Right? Things are going to get bad during the tribulation period where Satan starts killing 66% of the population of the world, but it still does not destroy the world because you have a millennial kingdom that runs after the, after the tribulation period where Jesus reigns for a thousand years. 
At the end of that, there will be one more massive war where Satan attack, convinces people to attack Jesus and loses. <laughs> then God will wipe out. God wipes out the world. So what am I saying on that? Do not be fearful of what man can do to this world. Man has gotten some power. We can do some damage to the world if God let us. But he's not going to let us destroy the world because he says, I will take care of that at the end of the millennial kingdom. And then he'll start a brand new heaven and earth and we will reign with him in that period and enjoy whatever that period is going to be about. But so what am I trying to say is don't be fearful. You know, there's a lot of things going on in our world that would drive fear without God. But remember that God gives us the peace that passes understanding that keeps our hearts and our minds, our emotions and our thoughts. Lean on his word. Lean on his truth. Does that mean nothing bad is going to happen to us? Oh, I wish that was what it meant, but after... After walking with God for the 40 years I've walked, there's all kinds of bad things that pop into my life, if it, and they would be terrible if it wasn't for him. But we lean on him because he promises that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So God has a plan even when we go through things that seem terrible and miserable. God has a plan, and when we hide in him, we will get the benefit of that plan. And we'll see in the long run what he has planned. Now, sometimes we won't see this plan until we get to heaven. Other times we get to see it and God says, see, this is what you went through this for. Sometimes, you know, and I've shared this with you, sometimes what we go through is so that others can see us stay steadfast with God and get blessed even though we're going through the trial. We don't know what it is and we don't even know the impact we have on people's lives and may not know the impact on other people's lives until we get to heaven. Because that is where we will see the whole picture of God. God is putting together a plan. And have you ever had somebody come up and say, you know, I was just so encouraged by watching how you went through this. I've had people say that to me, and hopefully you've had people tell you that they were encouraged by what you went through. Because sometimes that's all that God puts us through. He puts us through a trial so that others see a strength. Now I'm not saying you don't get anything out of it. There's something you're going to get out of it as well. You may not recognize it, but you know our trials teach us to be stronger related to God. They force us into a relationship with God that says, God, I cannot do this. I need your help. All through the Bible he tells us to hide in him. To, he's our strong tower to run to when the enemy comes in. He's our shield. He's our buckler. He's our armor. He's everything about us. And he's saying, hide. Hide in me. Stay in him. Life is so much easier. The more we stay hidden in God, the easier life is because he takes the brunt of the trials. And you know, my, one of my stories that I love is that, you know, Jesus walking on the water comes across. Peter says, you know, hey, God, if it's really, Jesus, if it's really you, call me out. He calls him out. He walks on the water. Now, that took a lot of faith to step out of the boat. It took a lot of faith to step out of the boat in the middle of a storm. Now, but you got to think, it took a lot of faith just to step out of the boat. Even if there wasn't any storm out there, because he's expecting to sink, he walks on the water until he takes his eyes off Jesus and looks at the storm. How many times in our life do we take our eyes 
off Jesus and look at the storms. That are, we take our mind off the peace that passes understanding that keeps us. We take it off of his word, off of his promises. And I've shared with you, I hope all of you have some promise in the Bible that you grab hold of and say, this is my promise. God, I've grabbed hold of this and use that. You all know that Romans 8.28 is one of my promises. When I go through hard times, I grab hold, and sometimes that's all I have is a nod at the very end of that, that verse that says, okay, God, you promised. I have no idea what's going on. But I know that you've promised good. What are the verses that you look at that say, God, I'm going to be kept? It could be as simple as Philippians 4.7 that we're, we're learning. You know, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and your minds. That's a good verse to grab hold of. God has promised us peace. He didn't promise us good times. He did not promise us easy times. He promised us peace. He's promised to keep us. There's all kinds of promises that we can grab hold of and say, God, this is the promise that I am grabbing hold of. For I am crucified through Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. God wants to crucify our flesh. When he's crucifying the flesh, the flesh does not like to be crucified. The flesh gets hurt when it's being crucified. It keeps trying to come off the cross. <laughs> Our job is to make sure that we keep it on the cross <laughs> so that the flesh dies and Jesus is exalted in our life. Why am I giving all these different verses? Because I want you to grab hold of some verses that you say, this is the verse that I'm going to live on. When I go through trials, I'm going to grab hold of this verse. And everybody's going to have a different verse. You talk to a number of Christians, and they all have, and they usually call life verse. This is my verse. We sang Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. You know, and then I love that part we use for the chorus. More to be desired than honey and the honeycomb. Do we desire God's word more than the very food we eat? Do we desire the promises of God's word in the middle of the problems to give us peace? Do we hold on to the promises of God even in the midst of the trials that we follow? And those trials are not easy. If they were, they wouldn't be called trials. You know, if, and you think about this, and we've talked about this many times, you know, God tests us where we are at with him. If you are in kindergarten with him or preschool, he'll give you what others would look at and say, well, that's an easy test, but for you, it's a hard test. Eight years from now, you'll be doing something in the high school level test, and, and you'll think, boy, I wish I was going back to those other tests. They, they, they were really simple, but they wouldn't be tests anymore. He's testing you where you are at. And God is a good teacher. When you're in the middle of the test, he doesn't give you the answers. <laughs> You know, I get asked all the time when, you know, when I'm at the, at the prison doing a test. They go, well, what's the answer to this? I go, it's not my test. This is your test. I have my degrees. I, I have the ones. I, I know these answers. These are, not tests to, these are not tests to me. This is your test. And for each one of us, when God puts us in a test, it's your test. God is saying, do you believe? Now, when you take that test, he's already taught you what you need to know. He's already taught you what you need to know. You need to sit back and apply what he's, teach, what, what he's taught you. 
This is the same thing if you want to play sports. What do you do when you play sports? You spend the entire week practicing, practicing, and practicing. And then you get into the game where the coach isn't right there with you to correct you when you do something wrong, and you get to be tested on what you've practiced. All right? If you're into you know, various hobbies, you practice and practice and practice, and then you get that big test where you're going to put it all together and make something happen. This is what God does in our life. He trains us through the word, through instruction, through being exhorted by fellow believers. And then when we're done with all that practice, he says, okay, now it's time to see, do you believe? Are you going to put what he said into practice? And it works out various ways. You decide, okay, God, I believe you want me to tithe, and you start tithing. And the very first thing that's going to happen when you start tithing, money's going to get tight. Never fails. You know, it's something new to you or God increases your tithe through an offering and, and you go, okay, God, I'm going to do this. And money initially gets tight to tempt you not to do what, you, what you're saying you're going to do. God teaches you to be forgiving to somebody. Oh, be careful when you're being learning about forgiveness because God will put somebody in your life that is going to do something to you that is going to be very hard for you to forgive. You're learning to love. And you're very quickly going to find somebody that's hard to love come into your life. God works on us to say, do you believe? Do you truly believe what you've been learning? When you're going through those trials, put your trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. When it doesn't make sense, and I'm going to tell you, when you're in the middle of the test, nothing makes sense. <laughs> you know, it, you're going to go, God, it makes no sense to do what you're saying to do. <laughs> if, if I forgive this person, I'm going to look weak. They're going to think I'm a pushover. And God says, I'll take care of you. God, you know, if I don't do this, the world's going to think something. God says, it doesn't matter. You sit back and follow God because you're going to have your, your way of thinking challenged. Every time our way is going to be challenged because God is saying, will you do it my way? Jesus said some very interesting things. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, does that make sense human-wise? I'm going to push. I'm going to be the top. I'm going to be the top dog. I'm going to be the first one in line. I've got to be number one. And Jesus says, you're going to be last in heaven. We serve people. We treat people with honor. We let them go first. We let them look good. Because God is ultimately our defender. And one thing I have learned over my years with God is, when I let God be my defender, he always comes through. Maybe not in the time that I thought he should have. <laughs> you know, God, I really wanted you to come through uh, about a year ago, <laughs> two years ago, yesterday, <laughs> right at the moment it happened. And God says, no, I have it all taken care of. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. How many times have you tried to get revenge on somebody and had it all backfire? You know, usually if you try to take revenge, you end up looking like a fool. And things don't work out right. If we just learn to let God defend us. Because whenever we try to defend ourselves, 
it looks self-serving and it looks bad and God is just going to come in and he defends and I tell you when you can times I've let him defend me are so wonderful you know I go God you go ahead and get them because I'm not even going to try on this one it's yours and then watch what God can do the only problem with that is sometimes God really goes after the people much more than I would have tried in my first place I've watched God and God will do what it takes to get somebody's attention if somebody is extremely prideful God will take them all the way down from everything they have and strip them bare before everybody I don't really like to see that much vengeance but you know when you put it in God's hands you let God deal with it you start praying for somebody's salvation especially a family member that you dearly love and you want to see them get saved and then you watch them go through hell in their life and lose everything I have one person that I know specifically that they want she wants her sons to get saved and yet she keeps trying to help her sons when they get into trouble as like you know that God's trying to get their attention let them hit bottom and turn to God then you can help them when they turn to God you can help them all you want are we willing to let God do what he needs to do and that's hard it's hard to be able to hear God's word there are times when we go through things and our wish and my wish many times is God would you just write it down on a piece of paper and hand deliver it to me or or speak very very clearly to me that this is what you want to do but he tells us three times in the scriptures the just shall live by faith we pray we listen and we do the best we can with what he tells us to do and you know sometimes it's like God do I help this person do I not help them you know am I helping them by helping them or am I hurting them by helping them now God what do I say to this person how do I say it there's so many things that we have to walk by faith and it is difficult and it would be so much easier I I kind of wish we had the cartoon with an angel sitting on our shoulder telling us what to do at every turn and every moment life would be so much easier but then we wouldn't be living by faith we would just be doing what we're told to do and God's not going to work that way he gave us a free will and he says this is what you have he gave Adam and Eve a free will to not consume the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of evil or consume the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil he knew what their decision was going to be which is why Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world God created man knowing the man was going to sin and that Jesus was going to die to redeem them and I don't understand why he ever created man in the first place and yet he did God created man knowing that evil was going to run rampant and people were going to get hurt because of free will but why did he give us free will because he wanted us to love him freely he could have created a whole bunch of robots that just went through the actions of love but forced love is not love you know, it's like when I deal with, uh, you know, when we try to tell our kids to apologize to somebody. Well, they'll go through the mechanics of, of apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? Mom told me I had to say, I'm sorry. That's what I'm sorry for. Well, what is it that you did that you're sorry for? Well, I'm just being doing, I'm doing what I'm told. Yeah. Is that an apology? No. And I understand we're trying to teach them to, to take responsibility and, and all of that. But God did not want that from human beings. God, I'm obeying you because you told me I had to. I'm not going to do anything wrong because I do not have the capacity to make a choice to do anything wrong. I am just a robot. 
I have actually met with people that they go, well, I really think that this is a big problem, that man's free will and you know, people get hurt. I'm going, well, how, how big a problem do you think it is? Well, it's a real big problem. I go, okay, well, let me pray for you to start the process. They go, what do you mean? I'm going to pray that you have no more free will. You will always do what God wants you to do and you never have any choice to do anything wrong. Oh, no, I don't want that. I'm going, well, then you really don't want God to get rid of all the problems because the problems come from free will. Nobody ultimately wants God to take their free will away. We as Christians want to give up our free will to him to be obedient when we're walking close with him. And even then, it was our choice to allow that to happen. And he still gives us free will. And it's just the free will now that we choose to the Spirit. God's covenant with us. He makes a covenant with Noah. No more flood for the whole world. Makes a covenant with Abraham. Your children, your descendants will be the blessing for the world. And through Abraham's family comes Jesus Christ to bless the whole world. And they, when people treat Israel right, they get blessed. And we can prove it through history. It's an interesting thing to look at history where countries have done something against Israel and been punished. And when they've done something for Israel, they get blessed. All through, all through the ages. And that was an unconditional. Unconditional, when we get saved, we are saved. We get everlasting life. All right, and this is important. It is not everlasting life until I do something so big that God decides I'm no longer, no longer saved. It's not everlasting life until I choose that I don't want it anymore. And this is a big one. That's what people will believe, that I can choose not to be saved. It's not everlasting life if, I can cha- if it can be taken away. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Period. End of sentence. <laughs> end of statement. God doesn't say you have everlasting life until you decide not to, not to believe. You have everlasting life until you, know, you do uh, 20,000 sins and then I have to take it away from you. you know, it is period. Once you believe, it's yours. Now you may not get a lot of rewards in heaven if you don't live the right way. You may not have a peaceful life when you don't live the right way, but it is an unconditional promise. Once we accept, it's ours. And this is something that we want to look at is God's promise. When God says something, he carries it out. One of the things that God cannot do, and everybody goes, God can do anything. Well, God cannot lie. He will never lie. When God says something, it is true. And we can count on it, which is why the beauty of the Bible is so important. When we read something in the Bible and God says it, He's going to do it. Now, he may delay it some by our standards. Uh, The angel told the disciples when they were looking up at Jesus disappearing that as you've seen him go, go, he will return. And they expected it very, very soon because the angel said it would be soon. Well, soon in God's eyes is a little different than soon in our eyes. (laughs) That was 2,000 years ago that this was said. A little less than 2,000 years ago. But from God's perspective, he's eternal. Soon is different from his perspective. 
just like, you know, even in our lives, we can understand a little bit of that, of what that was. Can anybody remember when you were a kid, you were under 10 years old and Christmas took forever to get there? Your birthday took forever to get there? Now, each year was an eternity. <laughs> and now that we're all up there in age a little bit, <laughs> we can't, we go, is it Christmas again already? <laughs> Didn't we just have Christmas last month? It can't be Christmas already. It can't be my birthday already. We had my birthday. Put yourself in God's position. He's eternal. Time means nothing to him. When he says, I'm returning soon, 2,000 years is not long to him. As Peter said, a, a day is as a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is, to the, is as a day to him. And that's not saying literally that those are the case, but he's just saying the idea that time is irrelevant to God. So when he says soon, it's soon by his perspective. And soon by his perspective, from an eternal perspective, 2,000 years is just a twinkling of an eye to him. You know, oh, okay, yeah, it's time to, it's time to return, Jesus. It, it's time to go take care of it. He is coming. He is coming soon. We look at our world around us, and the Bible tells us that he will come when the world gets as the days of Noah. What were the days of Noah? Everybody doing what was right in their own eyes. Are we there yet? I don't know. But we are awfully close to people doing what is right in their own eyes, calling good evil, evil good. Jesus could return any moment now, and we need to be ready. He's sharing the gospel. We need to be ready and living for him and ready for his return. We're seeing so much move. We're seeing the move toward one world government, one, one currency that Revelation tells us about. We're seeing the move against Christianity all around the world. We have been so fortunate in the United States not to be persecuted for Christianity. But do you realize that millions of Christians die every year around the world? In our we just don't hear about it. There's certain parts of the country of the world where the life expectancy of a Christian is less than six months. You become a Christian and you're expecting to be you're you're expecting to be dead within six months. We have been very fortunate in America, very fortunate in Europe, and Europe is turning in a big way as well. Persecution for Christians is coming even to our country. We need to prepare our hearts and our minds for the persecution that's coming. Do not be surprised when it gets here. How long is it in? I'm not going to be because I don't know. But it could be very soon. If you look at what's going on around us and you look at change, drastic. All the communist countries have gone through what we're going through right now in our country. Civil unrest in the cities, the toppling of the history, the destruction of history, the going after churches. All the stuff that we're going through right now is what the world has gone through to topple their, topple their governments. We could be in trouble as Christians very soon. Get your heart prepared. Learn God's word. Get deep into his word. Start trusting him. Because times are coming that are going to be hard. Jesus said they hated me. They will hate you. Why are Christians hated? Because we bring light into the darkness. We bring conviction of God into people's lives. Because the Holy Spirit goes with us and the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin. 
When we bring these things in, people get irritated. Have you ever gone into a place and people all of a sudden just feel convicted and they don't like you and you haven't even said a word? This has happened to me. I walked into places and I'm going, and they're just, you bring God in and the people just get convicted. And I don't even say a word. And they just get convicted. This is what we as Christians do. We bring God. And then if we speak, oh my goodness, if we speak, it's even worse. And we tell them what God says. The other part of this uh, promises, and God does this on his promises, he says, this is the sign, the rainbow in the sky. And we see them to this day, that toward the end of a storm, there's the rainbow. But God says it's actually in the clouds, and when he looks down, he will see the rainbow and remember. Now, God didn't need a remi- reminder of his, of his promise, because he said he had a promise, and he's going to keep it. He put the rainbow there for us to see the sun's refraction through the rain that the rain was ending. God has these promises and he puts signs in our lives of the promise being fulfilled. We need to keep this in mind for God. When God makes us a promise, he's going to keep it. When we live for him, he is going to protect. We are his children. If a human mother and father will protect their child, imagine God will do to protect his, his children. You know, uh, nothing is worse than to get in, the, get in the way of a mother and her child and try to hurt their child. You know, they, will, they will oftentimes go ballistic on you if you try to hurt their children. So will the father, but the mothers are really, <laughs> really bad about it. God protects us as the mother for his children. He will not let, the, let people go blameless for attacking his children. Learn to trust God. Learn to put your whole trust in him and follow what he is asking you to do. He's made the promise. We are going to go with him into eternity. He is preparing a place for us. That's what Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. And I kind of, you know, I kind of agree with many theologians that have said, you know, God created the world in seven day, uh, six days plus a day of rest. Jesus has been working on our home for his bride for over 2,000 years. What kind of home is he making? He could have made that home in an instant. And he's taking time to personally make sure every bit of that home is right for you. You're going to walk into your suite of rooms in heaven and you're going to instantly feel at home because it has been made personally for you. Now what that means, I have no idea. I'm not an interior decorator. I'm amazed at these people that can decorate homes and make them look so good and personalized to everybody. But every single person is going to have a home that is built just for them. And what that means, I don't know have no idea what that means but you when you get to your home in heaven you're going to know I am home we may never want to leave our room it's going to be so perfect we may never even want to leave our room and yet there'll be so much more to do but you know we look at this and God has got promises for us we need to learn to trust in his promises trust in his love why do we love God it says we love him because he first loved us 
We as human beings don't even really know what, what true love is until God shows us what love is. When God shows us that love truly is unconditional, you know, and I love that. I, I use the term objective love. God loves us because he chooses to love us. And I'm glad that that's the kind of love that God has because I, do not like, I would not like it if he had subjective love. Well, I love you today. Oh, no, you did too many bad things. I don't love you anymore. That's our love as human beings. God has to teach us to be objective in our love. Why should we love one another? Because we choose to love one another. And the unfortunate thing is God never changes. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. When he says, I choose to love you, he never changes his mind. We might say that I, I choose to love you, but we're human beings and we can change our mind. And very important that we don't. We choose to love other Christians. We choose to love our, our spouse. And when we choose to love our spouse, then we commit to, a, to that relationship and say, I'm going to love this person. When I do premarital counseling, I talk a lot about love and how it has to be unconditional and make sure that people are loving somebody for the right reasons. Because my wife put me through this. When I proposed to her, she asked me why I loved her. So I had to go back and figure out why I loved her. And it took me a long while because I did not understand objective love at that point. I did by the time I got done. Because I'm going, well, I love for this reason. Well, but if that reason changes, that mean I'm not going to? No, I don't think so. I don't think I'm that shallow of a person. I don't think I'm this shallow of making my marriage. So I really had to come down to the fact that I chose to love. And when you choose to love somebody, the only reason you're not going not to love them is by choosing not to love them. Does that mean you always feel in love? Nope. God may not always feel in love with us, but he has chosen to love us. When we're being disobedient and we're making life miserable for everybody around us and God saying, man, I love you, but you are sure a lot of hand, being a handful today. And he's going to punish us and he's going to discipline us. Still loves us, but he has this plan for our lives. Do we have that kind of love one for another? The love that God asks us to have for other Christians is agape love, unconditional love, objective love. We choose to love the members of the church. Does that mean they're never going to do things we don't like? Oh, boy, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> you know, but I'm going to choose to love them in spite of what they do. I'm going to love them when they do the things I like. I'm going to love them when they do the things I don't like. I'm going to love them when they're on my nerves. <laughs> And making life difficult for me. I'm going to love them when they're being nice to me and being kind to me. Are we ready to love the way God loves? Are we ready to be able to hold out that promise for life? That's our challenge for what I'm going to make for us. We need to learn unconditional, objective love. One for another. Now, I'm not going to try to say do it for everybody in the church on your first time. Learn, some, learn objective love on somebody that's really close to you that you want to love in the first place. <laughs> you know, maybe your spouse, a child, <laughs> somebody, a good friend. You know, pick somebody who should be easy to love. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you that as soon as you decide that that's what's going to happen, God's going to let a test come in and say, are you really ready to use objective love on this person? They're going to do something that's going to be hard to love. But be ready to take this challenge. Be ready to understand that God has a 
test it. And Satan will test it because he does not want us to love one another. He wants our love to be subjective. I love you as long as I'm getting something out of it. That's human love. The best that humanity can do is, I love you as long as I'm getting something. Now that something may be different for every single person, but I'm getting something from this as human love. And God says, I want you to do, choose to love and love no matter what. So that's our challenge for everybody today. Learn love, objective love. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask you to bless it. Lord, we ask that each person that has heard this message will take the challenge to live out unconditional objective love. Lord, if there's anybody that is listening online or on the radio that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will admit that they're a sinner and accept your gift of salvation through your blood shed on the cross and that they will say, God, I'm a sinner. Please come into my life. I accept you. I repent. I'm sorry for my sins. Come into my life and guide me. And Lord, if they do that, then contact somebody, some Christian to help them get started in discipleship. And Lord, we just thank you for this day and ask you to bless the singing to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.